so, are you curious? Welcome to the Curiosity Codex. I am your artist enthusiast, Kyle Olson. Our conversation with director Mandy Fabian continues. In this chapter, we'll hear tales of Tinseltown, the strange worlds of agents and managers, and her time spent with some comedy legends. One production note, the audio in this chat is not up to our usual standards. Mandy and I record our audio individually, but I also record us together as a backup track, which came in handy this time as Mandy's computer crashed right at the end of our time and her audio was totally corrupted. On the master track, Mandy's audio is a little quieter and the lag is a bit more apparent, but I've done a lot of cleanup and you should be able to understand everything. I just wanted to let you know before we got rolling. But now, let's get into our chat as Mandy tells us about the madness of pilot season. Chapter 3, Freedom from the Need. Okay. All right, so let's see. When we left off, we were just about to get to Hollyweird. So <laughs> what, what, is, what is it that first like uh, brought you out to, to go to California, to Los Angeles, to the thing? And then as a struggling actor, how did you afford to go? Right. Um, the first, the first time I came out was, uh, was early on. Like I was living in New York and I, it was like, I was going to go out for pilot season and I was in my twenties. Sure. And, and, um, so how did you find out about pilot season? Was that your managers? Yes. I had a manager at the time who was like Sarah Silverman's manager and Dennis Leary's manager. And, and when I came to LA with this management company, I mean, I came on my own, I had to find my own you know, place. And I got a job making balloon animals at kids parties. Okay. Now uh, this is moving out to LA or just staying there for pilot season? I, I knew I was going to be there for three or four months. So so okay. this is a pretty typical thing, actually, for okay. actors. At least it was. I don't know if they still do this, but yeah. um, because pilot season is not quite so. It used to be like, oh, my God, January 3rd, you hit the ground running and everybody starts casting and, and putting together their pilots, which are, you know what pilots are, but yeah. in, in case anybody doesn't know, right. it's a... It's a show that they're going to try out. They're, they've they've picked up a script. They're like, maybe we'll make a series of this, and then they they shoot all of these television shows just the first episode to see right. if they, it's going to go. And um and so they need a ton of actors because they're not all the shows are going to get picked up. Right. <laughs> but everybody wants to get a pilot because it's a great way to you know once a show is on, there's no there's fewer job opportunities there. The pilots are when you get to the opportunity to be a series regular, right? Mm-hmm. You get to be the one that makes the show for five years and a hundred episodes or five hundred episodes or right. however lucky you get that get. sweet, sweet residual. Oh my god, it's it's the best <laughs> job in the world. And yeah. also you don't I mean, think of like our lives are are constant rejection. Yes. So to have a job for yeah. like five years. Yeah, and, and it's it, that, I think in all of Hollywood, that's the closest thing you ever come to a nine to five. Because when yeah. you're on a regular television show, you have a set schedule. Like yeah. you're coming in on these things and you pretty much have the weekends off. Yes. It's like you yeah. shoot, you know, Friday night most of the times. Friday yeah. night is shoot night. And then you got a couple oh. days off and then back in oh. on Monday to start learning the next script. Oh, my God. And especially for multicam for sitcom. Yeah. yeah. That that really is like a nine to five. You can actually have a family and a life uh, on uh, on a multicam because you have a table read at 10 a.m. Yep. on Monday morning. And then everybody goes home. 
because after the table read, the writers have to go, you know, snip, snip and yep. fix jokes and, you know, write more for a character that got laughs and all the things. <laughs> so it's just like Monday, the whole workday on Monday is basically show up, be at a table read at 10 a.m., read it for an hour and be done. <clears throat> and, then, and, and actually after that, a director will have a bit of a plan for the week. They'll have like a what... In, in in single cam would be like a tone meeting, mm, like where, okay. where you go you go over the script and you sort of point out things that are not of that are not usual, right? Like you go yeah. through the script, and so if it says like, "Oh, we're in Larry's kitchen," everybody pretty much knows Larry's kitchen, so there's nothing special about that. Yeah, but if it's Larry's, says. yeah, but if it's Larry's kitchen at night, and that's when the ghost of Christmas past appears oh. in the fireplace, <laughs> then yeah. Everybody right. sits around on Monday and figures out how, how are we doing Ghost of Christmas Past? And all the department heads will say, well, you know, I got I got some old socks. I've sewn them together. It's going to look it's going to be great. You know, this VFX, the special effects guy will be like, I've got we have a thing that's going to explode like this. But, you know, not that it's big explosions in multi well, sure. but you know what I mean? They have yeah, to yeah. do they sort of have to plan how they're going to fake somebody coming down a chimney sort of thing. Right. And then um, and then everybody goes home. But then it's like you rehearse. The next day, you just rehearse, and then you show the people, you show the the writers, the rehearsal, what you've mm-hmm. done so far, and then they go away and they rewrite because they either love or hate what you've done, <laughs> <laughs> and then you do more. Uh, you do a producers run through for the for the uh, producers, and then you do sure. a network run through. So it's like you have to sort of you do the writers, you do the producers, you do the network and and every time they might rewrite or change something or give notes yeah so it's like doing a play that a, a little a half hour play that's constantly getting rewritten all week and then you know then you go and do the live show and even yeah. then it gets rewritten and then it gets written that was the thing that amazed me um when i got to see a taping of a sitcom i went to a recording of uh, two broke girls when that was on in, the, in their first season and they would go and they would shoot the scene and they would have to do, and they would do the thing and then as soon as they would call cut the writers would cluster together and and then one would run over to the actors and go and they'd run the scene again with all new jokes yep that was amazing to me that yeah. like right then there's a circle and who can top it? Who can top it? Like basically they're all going around like who's got something better? Who, who thought of something better? Like right in that moment and they have to be there and they have to be on yeah. and then suddenly go back and then they go and then they see what our reaction is as the audience. Like what is it that they're and like they, they got a bigger laugh and then and then to then watch the final thing and see which joke ended up in the show. Oh, and it's the best. Like I think it's the purest form of comedy because truly if you don't have an audience laughing then what you did is not funny. Yeah. <laughs> And not funny enough, you know, like, right. and, and and that's why I think Chuck Lorre's stuff is so successful because yeah. he really writes to the audience laughing. I mean, it doesn't matter if every single person who was watching it, uh, you know, during rehearsal all week, were like, oh my God, that's amazing. Right. Yeah. It doesn't matter because if the audience doesn't, if he, if he thinks you get a better joke for the, for the audience, then they, he rewrites it. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, he works them really hard, and I and I really, I really admire that. Yeah, it's a it's 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 a it's a it's a definitely a a skill that not everybody has. No, not even and writers, and and it's it, the, even when they do sitcoms, they're so used to having the laughter 
idea that keeps the momentum of that going. Yeah. That that when they shoot sitcoms that they are not going to, or scenes, I should say, I don't know if it's not the whole sitcom. When they shoot scenes that they are not going to shoot in front of a live audience, they sometimes will have laughers come in. Oh, oh interesting. Have, they have people who it's just their job to laugh at the jokes. And they'll do it for, like I said, if they're shooting a scene that's not going to be live. Yeah. And they will do it also for sometimes for rehearsals. The last sitcom set that I was on, they had like four or five people who were standing in the bleachers, you know, laughing at every joke. And of course, everybody, the crew laughs, everybody laughs. It helps them. It helps the morale. (laughs) Um, But I was like, wow, those, I thought they were background actors or something. I was like, wow, they're really enjoying this. And my husband was like, no, it's, (laughs) they're hired to Wow, what a weird gig. Uh, I, it would be my dream job because I laugh at everything anyway. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, yeah. My wife does that too. I I can watch a, a comedy, you know, for the fifth time, whatever, still laughing out loud. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's something a good about game. it. Okay, yeah. so so your first pilot season then. So yes. what was what was that? What was that like? Like, so is it? Did they bring you out for something specific, or is it just a lot of? Just no. showing you around, like you're, you're a show pony. They're basically bringing you from place to place, introducing you to people. Yeah, they don't even really, they did not bring me around. I think it probably depends. I think once, if you get something early on, then you're sort of more escort. Like I've heard of people, their managers escort them to meetings and stuff. Okay. Uh, that, that was never my, not all of them. Some managers do that, some don't. Uh, basically, you show up, you get yourself a place to stay, you figure out how you're going to eat and pay to live, right. you know, for four months in Los Angeles. And then, you know, hopefully you really should have an agent or a manager, right? Like hopefully that has happened for you. Cause otherwise there's no, like when you're in New York, you can go to an open call for something. Uh-huh. Um, there's that backstage, you know, there's always auditions and stuff in backstage. And I guess there are here for theater, but theater here doesn't quite translate. I, I, in my experience, it has not, or it, from what I've seen, because I didn't do a lot of theater here. I did yeah. it mostly in New York. But it's not like, oh, I'm going to do a play for six weeks and maybe someone who casts a TV show will see me. Whereas in New York, it happened all the time. Are you telling me that La La Land isn't true? <laughs> That's not how it works? Well, I will say Mindy Kaling did a one-woman show called Matt oh, and Ben. That's right. Where she did impressions of Matt and Ben. And that, yeah. you know, that was a big success. Although, she did she do that in New York first? I don't know. I like. Know. That's what I mean, like Upright Citizens Brigade all sure. came from New York. Groundlings, like, yeah. The, well, the Groundlings is Los Angeles. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's legit LA. So people will go to the Groundlings to mine comedy talent. That's true. But the Groundlings is a school. So yes. the Groundlings is you go and you do the 100 level, 200 level right. improv sketch writing, blah, blah, blah. And then you They're like Second a- City. Yes. You work yeah. your way up through the companies. Yeah. You, it's five years before you're ever even going to see the stage yeah. for the Groundlings. You know, worth it for some. But did, you, did you ever see that show, The Nobodies? Or no. Nobo- Nobodies? Oh, my God. I love this show so much. Oh, it's, who was in that? It's, it's a show busy show. And sure. who, what's funny is I can't tell you who's in it because I can't remember their names now because the whole <laughs> premise. No. <laughs> is that they're nobodies? I know Melissa McCarthy's in it because okay. their whole premise is there are this writing team. They're really funny. They're really talented. They're so likable. I loved spending every week with them. But. They, the whole premise is that Melissa McCarthy is their super famous 
close friend from doing the groundlings and they lie and say that she's attached to a script when she isn't because they're so desperate for an opportunity. And the only thing everybody wants is somebody famous. (laughs) So it's this really great, like it's all about them struggling being super talented, super right place, right time. All of their friends are famous. And there's these like three people who are friends with Melissa McCarthy and Kristen Wiig and all the famous people, uh, uh, Nat Faxon. Oh, okay. And, uh, and yeah. uh, uh, Jim Rash. Is it Jim Rash? Oh, yeah. Is? Yeah, from yeah. Community? Yeah. Oscar so, winner Jim Rash? Yeah, Nat Faxon and Jim Rash are writing partners, and they yeah. were in the ground links together with all these people. So these are the basically the three people out of that group of superstars who didn't make it. And uh-huh. I thought it was brilliant because they're okay. so many stories like that. I will put that on my list because like like half of the people that you mentioned are some of my favorites. So It was on TV Land and I loved it. Okay. I loved it. Yeah. Did you so, actually get a role? So, I mean like if there if there's if there's this hunger for actors, did you actually get a role to do something while you were out there or is it just a lot of a lot of meetings? No. It uh, for me it was a lot of I think I auditioned. I don't okay. rem- I don't remember. I must have been auditioning some of the time. Um I did uh, stand-up shows. Okay. So I got general meetings because I was part of like a a sketch show that we did with Anthony Clark. They kind of set up a showcase thing. And I think I got some... So how how did that work then? Like you you like get together over the course of like a week and then come up with something and then you put it up on the Friday? Uh, Luckily, I was paired with people who really could write. I mean, I, I was not at the... I could write some things. We used some of my sketches that I'd done in college... But I was such a collaborator, too. Like, you can't use other people's material. And everything I wrote, I sort of wrote with three or four other people, you know. So I didn't really have a lot of my own material at that point. Um, So I just tried to cobble stuff together from what I had come up with. And then I was paired with a playwright who was really funny. And she was the one who told me, she's like, if you want to be a writer, you need to read plays. Uh, Which I thought was interesting. Now... It's funny, like, I could have met the person who's like, if you want to be a writer, you need to read spec scripts. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> right? Right. And it's interesting because there's that moment in time yeah. where it totally informed my sensibility. Yeah. And I fell in love with plays and theater. Yeah. And so, consequently, the things that I write have a more what's being said under, like, what's the subtext, like, Harold Pinter and like, like it was, it's more, um, I don't know. I think in terms of, of, of theater more than at least I did for a while. And then I made the switch, but yeah. So, so you, you get together, you write, uh, what you think is a funny, you know, 15 minutes and everybody does their parts. You rehearse it and then you do it in front of a live audience and hopefully people laugh and they want to know more about you. Wow. And, and that's what, that's what happened. So yeah, I went, I had meetings. I think I met with the lady. They might've even been casting friends at the time and I was too young, but they were, uh, yeah. Uh, I was too young, but I met with the woman who did it. She was lovely. I, I just did a lot of general meetings and I'm sure I did a couple auditions. And again, uh, I wasn't really sure how to audition. Sure. So, but you know, it's a, it's a crapshoot. So did you sense a difference? I think I talked about this the last time, but, but being out there in L.A. for the first time auditioning, did you sense the difference between a New York audition, which you'd had a lot of? That's interesting. Um, is there uh, is there more of like a 
casual style? It's well, or is it pilot season? Is it just like, give me another face. Give me another face. Like they're just working you through because they have so many people they need to get through. Yes. They have so many people. Right. Um, but they're, they're lovely, but it's an interesting thing. It's a little bit more like when you're in New York, I it's, um, they didn't cast as many things out of New York. So you were sort of special New York talent and New York was constantly trying to figure out how to get their talent because all look, if they're shooting something in LA, it's cheaper for them to just find somebody in LA. Sure. That's why people go out to LA for pilot season. Right. Because if you can find somebody local, why would you, you know, right. Why, but on the why other pay hand, to fly them back and forth across the country? Right. But on the other hand, why do they also hire tons of British, Australian, and Canadian people? Because yeah. there's something sexy about, oh my God, we had to uh-huh. find, you know, yeah. we just couldn't find an American <laughs> who could do it. We couldn't find a blonde-haired, blue-eyed American. I, I don't know. We, we looked all around and turns right. out they have a bunch of them in Australia. So we just imported. Right. Yeah. I know. Right. Strange. So there was a, I think that the New York casting directors though, because they knew they were working with theater kids mostly, Mm, they worked with you a little bit more because there were fewer auditions. They probably brought in fewer people. It was a little bit more of a, uh, they worked with you a little bit more. Whereas in LA, they were lovely, but they have lines out the door and, um, and it's a little bit more, it's just everybody's life. Like that's the funny thing when I got to LA is I, they're all, it's like going to another country. Wow. This is all just another day. This is just another Wednesday for them. Yeah. You know, trying to find the person who's going to cast the, I mean, sorry, trying to find the right actor for this part. So it's not like they're so casual about it. And you're. It's your you life. It's, it's your career. It's, it's everything. And they're just like. You don't know what you're doing. Right. And so if, it's a weird thing. It was just interesting because my experience in New York was like, if you're, if you don't know what you're doing, they might like yeah. workshop you a little bit. Uh, Whereas in LA, if you don't know what you're doing, they don't know that you don't know what you're doing. They sort of assume if you're there, you do. Yeah. And so it's a little bit more of like a, eh, not this time, you know, or great. Thanks. Moving on. Yeah. Like yeah. it's, it's busy and they're all, but they're like, they're not mean at all. They're lovely. They just assume that you already speak the language. Okay. And it is a very specific language. And I don't, being on the other side of it now, yeah, it's fascinating to me. All the, even when people tell you as an actor, you know, they don't want you to fail. They want you to be the best thing they've ever seen. Right. But as an actor, you still go like, but what is that? How do I accomplish that? You know? <laughs> yeah. But it really is. It really is just that thing of just relaxing and, and, and like really truly being yourself. Like that's the only thing that is going to get you the job because you, you can know sometimes that people walk in that they're not, they're not right for it. They might be the most talented person in the world, but they're not, you just know instantly that they're not, they're not right for the part. So you don't feel like you can ask anything, right? Like, cause like the, if the expectation is you're supposed to know the secret codes, then you don't want to say, I don't know what the secret codes are. So you know, you're already, Acting a little bit there because you have to be like, oh no, I've I've, I've done this a hundred times. I've been on the God. Paramount lot. I don't know how many times. And you know the truth is, I don't know because I, you know, at, I'm older and wiser now. So probably sure. no, I don't even think I am. Like I'd probably still try to pretend. <laughs> I'd probably still right? try to pretend that I knew what was going on because there's a weird sort of you want them to think you're a professional, right? And you don't not, want to show up with stars in your eyes because they'll be like, uh. You don't right. want one of those to walk around like, oh, movie stars. 
Yeah. But by the way, if that's authentic, there's really nothing wrong with that. You know, like, True. I mean, it's interesting. Like, I, I, I think sometimes I've talked myself out of a job by being, <laughs> by being so, I want to make it so clear that I, that I haven't auditioned that much that I'm, I'm a little green or a little rusty or whatever that right. I've literally been like, I mean, I'm mostly a writer. I don't even know what I'm doing here. Like I, <laughs> I have certainly now I've miraculously gotten jobs in those offices too, but yeah. I, I have certainly spent a lot of time explaining why I don't know anything and I shouldn't even be here. <laughs> okay. So you walk out of then your first pilot season with a lot of knowledge. Oh my but, God. But no, I, but, but no work. No, I don't think. No, I didn't book anything that first pilot season. I'm trying to think of except the uh, except the job making balloons for <laughs> kids at birthday yeah. parties. That was that was great. I mean, I did. did you have I that skill going in, or did they, uh, did they did they teach it to you? No, I didn't know how to make balloons. Okay. <laughs> okay. You never know what you pick up. <laughs> I didn't even have children. I mean, I barely spent any time with children, so it was like I had to learn how to entertain twenty kids at a time, which actually yeah. was pretty easy for me. I loved it. I really loved it. Um, yeah, I learned balloon animals and I had to, so that's what I got out of the first pilot. Season, okay. I well, hey, you come with a skill. A couple great magic tricks, you know? Now, if I handed you a balloon now, do you still have it? Like, could you still <laughs> produce a, do- I'm not, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not, I'm not asking question. you to run and get a balloon now, but like, if I, if I, if I put a balloon in your hand, could you still come up with a decent dog yeah. or a little mermaid? Yeah, I, think or? I, can make you, I think I can make you a pretty nice little yeah. leaner dog. I okay. think I could. Nice. So yep. some some skills don't don't ever go away. No. So yeah. did that become the habit that you like went back to New York, back to regular life, back to you know waitressing and auditioning stuff too, and then every year back, back and forth. The, I went back to the to New York with the full intent. God, with the full intention of moving back to LA. I mean, okay. I loved. I loved it. And did I was you? Like, yeah, this is where it's at. I had so good was it there weather vibe? Like, what was it that that really uh, it was, appealed it was, to you? You know, it's interesting. It was weather. It was vibe. It was the fact that, you know, when you go to audition, you're walking on the Paramount lot. You're walking yeah. into these places. And As I opposed really, to a random office in some random building. Yeah, I, that was so exciting to me, yeah. being that close. And, and also, L.A. Field, uh, feel. <laughs> <laughs> um, you don't have to speak good English there. Uh, no, <laughs> L.A. felt like summer camp i've always anytime anybody moves to la and they have they have like wide saucers and they're like i don't know about this town i'm like no 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 it's summer camp it's always beautiful and sunny and Mm -hmm. everybody you know wants to play and everybody came here to play so you know you're if you you can't throw a stick without hitting a dp (laughs) and and some and some actors and writers so like anything you need you are now surrounded by your people to make that happen and and I sensed that, and I really liked it. And then I went back to New York, and I'm trying. I know what happened, and it's awful. But my manager ended up taking money that wasn't his. Oh, yeah. He he. I had done a movie in Texas, just a little movie, and it was I was an I was a background girl, and then they gave me a line, right? So I had a tiny part. And but Do you remember the name was, of the movie? Yes, it was. Uh, it had Vanessa Redgrave and Keith Carradine. Oh, Ballad wow. of the Sad Cafe. Okay. And Simon Cowell was the director. And I guess something had happened, and maybe they didn't pay people what they should have for them. And there was a settlement via SAG, and I got a check. I mean, it's it's so interesting. At the time, I think it was like twenty five hundred dollars. Um, but he that's that's two months rent. 
it was. And he commissioned it when he, when he really wasn't supposed to. And we kind of got into it. And I don't even know how this happened. I'm in the most non-confrontational person in the world. <laughs> but all of a sudden, like, he was, I looked at my things and I was like, oh, he's charging me for like file folders and staplers. Like he's actually taking, he's, he's charging me for his office. Like he's taking money because I booked that big commercial and he was my manager at the time. He was, he was double charging me for things. And now he was such a big manager. There were, again, there are two paths, right? There's the, well, who cares? It's just a couple hundred bucks, you know, keep on this path. You're fine. Or there's the, but it's not right to steal from somebody and that makes him unethical and I can no longer be in a relationship with him. (laughs) I took that path, which maybe wasn't, (laughs) it wasn't the smartest path. Maybe, I don't know. It was, but it's what I, you know. The thing is, as I've gotten to, you know, the the middle years, let's say, uh, uh, that's my thing too, is like, I don't want to be around those people. So like once you know, Something like that, something that they they the terrible or and they're continuing to do. It's like, even if it if it hurts me, like it's going to hurt me a lot more because I have to live with myself the entire time, knowing that I willingly went along with something that was yeah. bad or you know continue on. So it's like I I've got the point. Like yeah, my peace of mind is worth more. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it it was that. It was. I mean, if you can't trust somebody, right. And, Hey, everybody, I mean, it's kind of classic. Anybody yeah, exactly. Always, it's, it's, it's Hollywood. <laughs> it's Hollywood. But you're unless you're working, and, and once again, let me state this for anyone who's interested in this business. Yes. I still believe that even for the most successful people, like 80% of what we do is rejection. Yeah. Like, it, it, so you're really not getting the job most of the time. Right. How f- quickly can you replace a manager? Oh, um, right. Like, that's it. So, sorry. That's what I was going to say. Okay. 80% of the time you're not getting a job. Yeah. So it's your agent. Everyone is always frustrated with their agents and managers because right. not, they're not, like, not booking them the good gigs, right. not getting them the right auditions. Go get me a job. And it's yeah. like, well, most people don't get jobs most of the time. So that's the business that we're dealing in. You yeah. know what I mean? So I, we did part, he was really kind of a jerk about it. Um, I mean, we had to go to arbitration. There was a lawyer. And honestly, it was so traumatic. And I was so young, you know? Yeah. And I felt so, I felt like, oh God, how did I really, like my first go out, this is how it goes, you know? Yeah. And I felt really icky. And um, and I, so then I didn't have a manager and I still had my agents, but I didn't know how to talk to age, you know? So it was yeah. a little bit of a, I think it, I think it I think it threw me for a few years. So it kind of threw me. So I mean, like we don't have to get into big difference about agent stuff too. But like the I, agents then are are sort of out there. Like they're you, like you're not in communication with them on a regular basis. Like you're no, just part you, of their the the team. But you don't like you're not emailing all the time. You're not calling like they're you don't deal with people, them unless there's money. Different people have totally different experiences. Okay, I, yeah, see, people, I, I, I I've never dealt with it either, so I'm I'm curious about your experience. Yeah. Some people are super tight with their agents. They go to lunch, they party with their agents, they can tell their agents anything, their agents fight for them. It's like their agents are like a manager. Okay. But the traditional sort of structure is a manager will have like, you know, eight to 12 clients that they focus on. So 
your manager wakes up and they really are more like, how am I going to get Mandy a job today? You know, who can I set her up with? Well, how can I leverage my resources to, to find her a job? Right. Right. And you're, they're constantly focusing on you. Whereas an agent probably has, I don't know, depending on how big their agency is, they can have 50 clients like you, you know? So that's obviously not going to, and, and, and even back then, Oh, so managers couldn't negotiate the deal the agents had to. So there was sometimes like a manager would make something happen and then the agent would come in and negotiate it. Yeah. Um, but then they also have entertainment lawyers who negotiate things. It's really, <laughs> I, I feel like it's all, it's all kind of set up on this idea that like, if someone's going to get rich and famous, you don't want to miss that boat. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, to make money, you think about it. How, like, how are you supposed to monetize anything if you're a manager or agent? You have to be attached to someone who's... Famous. Making money, yeah. Making you're, money. You're because they're it's it unfortunately is a parasitic industry. Like yeah. like you as the performer make X amount of yeah. and then they take a percentage of that. Yes. Or you have to have a lot of maybe not famous, but like almost famous, like you know, just regular Joe working class actors, a bunch of them. So you right. can keep your business afloat. Right, because when yeah. they make money, you make money. Yeah. I mean, they're always lovely people. The thing the best part about agents is that their their whole skill set like or I shouldn't say their whole a main part of their skill set is yeah. making you feel like you're amazing. <laughs> 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 and god, that is a great skill set, man. I mean, even if you're like if you haven't made money in 10 years and you're not doing great, but you somehow have have an agent, yeah. like you sit to lunch with them and they're like, "Oh, do we love you?" And you're like, <laughs> Right? You do? Oh, I, oh, I, I didn't expect well, I that, like but it's, it's nice to hear. <laughs> it really is. It costs them nothing to shower you with love. It's pretty and, great. And they usually pick a check. Yeah, they do. <laughs> also, yeah. Pro, also a bonus. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, even if you have no jobs, you could at least get a couple free lunches, which, you know, is better than nothing. Right. Uh, no. Um, yeah, so, but I, uh, it, it was... That was a little tricky when that happened. It took me sure. a couple years to kind of figure out, oh, how do I get back into this shit? I, I didn't, it was really kind of, I was scared to get back into it a little bit. I was still so you, auditioning. Oh, so you just didn't have a manager for that period of time? I didn't have a manager. And then I think I got a manager. This is funny. I got a manager and then she uh, quit the business. Okay. Um, but, but I had gotten a new agent. And then she quit the business. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you start to go, yeah. is it me? Uh, am I, well, am I pushing you out of the business? What, did I do something wrong? You know, it's so funny because, but, <laughs> but then I, at this time I was still like, I was doing sketch comedy. Okay. You know, I, I had gotten back into my safe home base of, I didn't feel like going out to LA without, without uh, a manager or agent, right? So then once I got, and I signed with Gersh and and I was like, okay, so now maybe I'll plan to move out to LA. And then the lady at Gersh quit. And then they pushed, they put me with somebody else, but it was a little bit like, I I don't know you, you don't know me. Yeah, like I was, and by the the way, that's the other thing. Like you, if you don't know what you're doing, it can sometimes, my, it can be, it's not clear. It's not a clear path. But now in retrospect, what I understand is you just go, yeah. you drive your career, you drive it. And, and 
if you need help, want help, or want somebody to like you, just go ahead and ask for it, whether it's your friend or someone you're networking with, or whether it's your agent. I'm like, they're not always going to be thinking of you. It's a shocker, I know. But like, <laughs> if you need something specific, you reach out and you go, what about this? So if I had known how the business worked, I would have at the time been like, I'm thinking of going to LA with the Gersh office in LA, send me out for pilot season. Like, I, But I was, I didn't really have that going on yet. It took me years to really understand the mechanics of it. And I yeah. don't know why, except that, I, you know, I'm, I'm more of a creative. Like I would get, I'd be like, Mike, well, can't figure it out right now. Cause I'm doing characters and sketch yeah. shows. And I just, I shouldn't say more of a creative cause you can be both. I think it was just my personality. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah, because you because you came up through like working with a group of people. Yes, like all your, was, your your stuff was never intended to be like like name above title. Like it's just me. It's the, it's the yeah. me show. One hundred percent. I had always been shepherded into these great you know sketch groups, and yeah. I would get I got to work with amazing people. Yeah. Um, and the rest of it was just kind of up to luck. But what so what ended up happening was I did not go back out to L.A. I stayed in New York and I continued to do theater and sketch. And then I got a terrific voiceover agent. Oh, okay. And that happened like completely out of the blue. Not like I did not expect that. I hadn't even heard of voiceover. I had no idea what that was. Yeah. Um, But they came and saw me in a show and they saw that I could sing and that I, I had comic timing. Okay. And those were the things that they kind of looked for, right? Like, oh, she's funny and she has a sense of rhythm and sound and her voice is nice. And so um, they basically said, hey, we want to represent you. And I was like, oh, I already have an agent. And they're like, yeah, you're going to dump that other agent because <laughs> we're the best in town and we're going to actually make you money. And I was like, okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I was terrifying, but I did it. I did it because someone told me to do it, which is great. Yeah. I just need to be told what to do. <laughs> so so voiceover obviously can cover a lot of things. So what did they initially start you doing? It was it just like um, car commercials? Oh. I mean, like what oh. was the? It was fantastic. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how, because I had been on voiceover auditions before. Sure. I'd had another voiceover agent. I'd, every so often would sort of, and I did the on-camera auditions. Like I was auditioning for things, but I was sort of like, I kind of feel like I was like a bit of like a clown, like sort of like, ah, it's goofy. (laughs) And I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, Although I booked a couple things. I booked a Kmart commercial. Thank you. Thank you, Kmart. Um, But then when I got to voiceover, it was like, oh, that's my jam. Oh, okay. And the reason it was is because it took away all of my self-consciousness. So, any of the uh. lack of confidence that I had, like, it was so weird. Like, we, we had talked about this before. Yeah. If you're in a theater of 900 people in the dark, you're a goddamn virtuoso. Like, you can yeah. perform and you're you're masterful. But you put me in a room with three people who can see my face and I can see theirs. Uh-huh. I'm shaking like a leaf. Like, <laughs> there's a weird kind of like, uh, this is too much about me and you. Or, yeah. I, you know what I mean? Am I talking too much? Am I talking too little? Like... <sighs> Yeah, I, and I, my nerves were getting so bad in the auditions and the on-camera auditions that I couldn't do. I couldn't do really what I was good at. You couldn't I get could to the do, place. I couldn't. I just was. I, I at least I'm assuming. You know, in the past, it, it's one of those things. You know, you always look, you look back. in the past, right? And this you is go, the problem. Uh, there, there is no exit interview for an audition. 
I know. I think that is a bad thing to say, like, like afterwards, like, like you know. I mean, obviously they're 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 doing it with mass numbers, but like a little thing saying, like, hey, you're great on this. Maybe you should work on this. You know, to like, okay, great, that'll help me audition in the future. You know, you know, but what you end up cool. just walking around for the rest of your life, like, what did I do? Like, why didn't uh, I book that? Like, how right? could I not? And you have and no by idea. The way, by the way, a lot of it, and this is a, I have this story a lot. Like, I've come close on a lot of things. Like, sure. And the things that I know that I've come close on, that was great to hear. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It was nice to know that I didn't get the job, but at least I wasn't completely in the dark, fumbling my way through it. But I think you're right. I think the great equalizer in entertainment would be if we could somehow sit people down, you know, when they want to get into this business, like if there should be some seminar that goes, all right, here's the thing. You don't need to be ashamed of anything. We're all bad when we start. Right. 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 Don't take it personally. Yes. Don't think that you need to be something special. Don't think that you need to know things that you don't. Just throw shame out the window and just bring your ever-loving best of what you have now and I'm going to critique you. Everyone is going to critique you and when you take this critique, you need to take it in the same way that you take, huh, I don't like asparagus with my breakfast. You know, like, like you take it in the same way that you, you take any feedback, like, oh, that's new information. I, I exhale before every time I'm supposed to have a dramatic moment. Okay, so how can I address that specifically? How can I be more free? How can I incorporate improv without jumping all over the writer's lines? How can I be alive in the room and have a normal conversation? Because some people, by the way, are just casting you based on how you talk to them before the audition. Because everybody can deliver those jokes, but when they see something sparkle in a person beforehand, that can get you a job. Like, I want to spend time with this person. So it's an interesting... Yeah, I've heard the same that same idea kind of from the writing side of it. Robert Rodriguez in his book talked about when you start out, the first five screenplays you write are going to be terrible. There's, oh. and there's nothing you can do about it. So he yeah. said his philosophy was, let me get them out of the way now. So he just basically started writing. And like, and and you have to commit. You have to believe. You have to like know and get through it. And even knowing that, like this is going to be bad, but I have to do it because I have to learn. And yeah. so he did that and, and worked his way through. So by the time he gets discovered and it's his first major thing, no, no, no. <laughs> like he put in the work already by the time yeah. he got to that point. So it's it's that same thing of like knowing it's going to be bad and you just have to accept that. Everything, whatever you start out, everyone starts out terrible. Yes. Everyone. Yes. And yes. you have to you have to be able to work through the of you hating what you're doing, whether it's yes. acting or writing or, or dance, whatever it is to get to the point where you actually can start to be good and yeah. develop your stuff. But you have to, you have to suck first. Yeah. I, that's why I think training or something like, I, I think it's a dangerous model that we have because I mean, look at me, like I got jobs right away. Right. Sure. I was working as a professional actor yeah. at the age of 16, but, but I had never been trained. I had never had a safe place really to fail because this is weird. Like, well, you're already successful. So if you're failing now, that just means you're failing. Right. I didn't understand it in the context of like, no, you don't have to take anything personally. Like this is not your identity. Like just, just practice and, and you're not going to be great. You're not going to be great at everything, but you can be, if you just, if you just look at it directly in the face and go, I'm not so good at that. How do I fix that? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had my, my, the first, play I ever wrote got picked up 
and performed and like you know sold out shows and and got nominated for awards, which I did not win. But but I'm like, oh yeah, this is it. This is like yeah. now it's just smooth sailing from here on in. And then crickets. Nothing. Right. Like right. nothing for years. Not one nibble, not one nobody like nobody cared. And I was like, oh, oh, this is what a career is like. <laughs> this is what it's like. Because <laughs> a lot of times no one wants to have anything to do with you. And then suddenly you're the toast of the town again. Yeah. And even if somebody does want to have something to do with you, I don't know if you've seen Steven Soderbergh's newest movies, No Sudden Move on HBO. No, Max, it's on my list. I haven't gotten to it yet. Well, you know, it. I wouldn't say it's his best work. Sure. Uh, I I wouldn't. I, I don't. You know, you'll 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 be the judge of, of what you think. But he's Steven Soderbergh, so you go, yeah, right. You know what? It doesn't fall in the pocket all the time, even for the people that are quote unquote successful. So, right. I think that that joy of the reason that I loved voiceover so much is because I was free from the need to succeed. Whoa, that's the title oh. of my new self-help book. Right. No, but like I didn't, it, it was so fun to figure out how to make a girl eating a Kit Kat interesting. <laughs> wow. Okay. You know what I mean? yeah. Nobody was looking at me. I just got to like play with the rhythm of it, which yeah. is very much a writer's sensibility of, Right, the rhythm of how jokes should go and the timing yes. of, right? Yeah. So, yeah, Aaron Sorkin talks about how it's, uh, he writes music. So, like, everything has to be da 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 Like, he, he hears the, the song and he's writing his, oh. his dialogue along it. Oh, my God. I can tell you because I'm editing my movie right now. Oh, yes. I can tell you that there were times when I was like, oh, I love it. It's so free. And they're just let, making it sound so real. And now I'm going back in and I'm like, I want you to cut the um, yes. the all right, uh -huh. like. Cut. Yes, yes, yes. You know, you're, like, it, you're adding words to the song. Yeah. Yeah. So, but so, yeah, it's like when I, I mean, I, I don't want to be, you know, a, a real stickler when it comes to if I write something to perform it, but there's a reason why I had you say, oh, that's a great idea, and not, um, that's a great idea. Like, I chose that that particular word specifically because I, the character has, has a reason for it. Like, I put in those kind of pauses because I want that that beat. I, I don't want you to just use any sound. Like, there's a difference between, oh, um, ah, uh, and uh. Like, those are all very, very different things. By the way, Kyle, kudos on that sound library you have going on. That was amazing. <laughs> well, when you work, when you work oh, in the audio, oh, like, oh. as someone who has to edit a lot of audio, like, you know, so if you're, as a voiceover artist, you're treating it, I'm the one who's then going through and cutting it. Yeah, yeah. I have to do a lot of, of those kind of, of, of tweaks and changes. And also, you know, compressing the line. If someone decided to take a long pause, it's like, <laughs> okay, I respect your choice, but nope. Gotta go. Shoot. Just cut the thing right out and put it right back together. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I hear you on that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I guess, um, what was your first non-commercial then? As, as I'm, as I'm a narrative a, nerd, like, what was the first character that you did that wasn't, you know, selling something for a voiceover? Oh, do you remember? You mean like? Like, like that, like, like, a, like, yeah, animation, a cartoon, or, or any kind of thing that wasn't specifically just like a, just a, a commercial thing. Um, there is something on your resume that I'm very interested in talking to you about. I'm not trying to get to there, but I'm just curious if there's something before it that I don't know about. There was, there was a, I don't remember the name of it. I want to say like Mr. Bill or there okay. was, 
there was an anime. I didn't do a lot of animation because I was so I was so doing well in the commercial world. To be honest, sure. like I, I mean, that's, um, that's where the money is. I mean, like the, the, I'm the, not not no shame at all. Like I, like you're you're making a, a living, I and mean, that's fantastic. I'm just yeah. like, curious, just to, if like when funny, you actually right? had a character that you were you know in an episode of. Whatever I can't remember what animated things were on at that I, time. I did a kids show. I think it was called Mr. Bill or something. I can't. I can't remember now because I didn't do a lot of it. Um, okay. I did that. I did something called Ben Helsing, which I think that's was the one. That's oh, what I wanted to talk to you about. Okay. Oh so my God. to to set the to set the scene. Okay, so Steven Steven Summers had a you know, did the Mummy and did extremely well with it. And then they're like, you know, monster stuff. Do a monster movie. So he made Van Helsing. So Van Helsing was Hugh Jackman uh, as the monster. And then pretty much all monsters that weren't the mummy in the Universal Library. It was a big, <laughs> huge summer action thing, special effect and stuff. And it has. I, I'm a fan, but like I know some people are not. Uh, but it yeah. was a big, big, big summer movie. Yeah. Uh, and then they made a video game based yeah. on that. And then let's see, it was Kate Beckinsale's character. Mm-hmm. And so when they did the video game, they didn't get Kate Beckinsale to do her voice. No. They got you. Yes, they so did. So what is it like recording a video game? Uh, well, it, it, this has happened to me a couple of times because I had to do an accent for it. Ah, yeah, that's right. A yeah. vaguely Romanian. Yep, yep. Yeah. The, uh, vaguely is the operative word <laughs> that's there. That's right. It, it, I got cast to do a British thing one time, and I was okay. like, and they, but they, I actually got the job and I thought, oh dear God. And then I oh. got into the session and the woman who was running the session was British. <laughs> like, oh, I'm going to get a lot of notes. Oh, I was like, <laughs> no, 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 no. I can sound British enough for an American person, but you, you know, I can't do this accent. Like, yeah. so it was a little bit the same with the Van Helsing thing. I was a little bit like, oh God. But remarkably, it was a really fun. They were so nice. We had such a ball and. I had to sort of do try to do as much of a voice match as possible. I'm yeah. uncannily good sometimes at voice match. I love okay. it. I don't I don't know why, but again, if I'm told what to do, I can do it. I swear yeah. to God, I can mimic anybody. Like I so I I really enjoyed the you know, I enjoy that part of it. And and the only thing that scared me was really the accents. I was like, yeah. my are there even different sounds to like Russian, Romanian, Russian? Like I don't even <laughs> because know. You don't want to turn into Bella Lugosi all of a sudden, and then you're like, and oh, I, okay, no, no, now, now you're drifting into Italian. Like, no, no. Yeah, no, I'm positive I went full Dracula. At a, <laughs> well, at, if you start at full Dracula and they bring you down, <laughs> I think I actually talk about something about Transylvania or something oh, yeah. in that, don't I? It's like I, I don't remember, but like. It was really fun. I I loved it. Like it was such a huge job. I yeah. couldn't believe that I got it. <laughs> yeah, I was, and it's a lot more intensive, from what I understand too. Like, because not only do you have to do, I guess at the time, I don't know. This was this is mid early two thousands. Yeah. There's just a straight up dialogue of like, you need to make sure that you hit the cross to activate the, you know, that kind of stuff. But did you have to also do the the grunts? Like the I'm sure, yeah. Ah, ooh, oh, <laughs> that must have been an interesting time. I, as far as I remember, um, I don't remember doing a lot of the. I remember being it being very heavy story, like okay. that I had to speak in character a lot. I don't remember being a sort of like walk up the staircase to oh, okay. take a right on your left. You know what I mean? <laughs> at the large mirror where yeah. I cannot see my reflection. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember. 
having to do a lot of that. Yeah. <laughs> but it was really, really so fun. I didn't see any famous people now. When I saw famous people when I did, I also did a character in Curious George. Oh, very nice. That's going to be a good gig. It was a good gig. What happened was that I didn't even know they did this, but Will Ferrell was coming in to record The Man in the Yellow Hat. Oh, and of course. I had gotten, because of my comedy work, I had gotten selected to be all of the voices opposite him in the scenes. Okay. So just sort of as a... So while he's doing his bit, I did all the other parts, but mostly okay. the, Drew, the Drew Barrymore part. Um, okay. And... Oh, this uh, is Curious George, the movie? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, the movie. And then at the end, um, because I had done a good job, they they threw me, you know, obviously I couldn't be the girl because it was sure. bear war, but yeah. they threw me a bone and I think I was a lady in the park that's like, you know, hi, mister, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Man in the Yellow Hat. Yeah, so they let me come back in and do a little lady in the park. I'm like, watch out for those balloons, something like so that. So was that recorded by yourself? Uh, the lady in the park one or the stuff with Will Ferrell? The stuff with Will Ferrell. No, I was in oh, the room with Literally in the room, not even like side-by-side -side booth, but like in the room. No, Will Farrell and I, he came in and we worked together like all day. And it was Wow. What oh a my, fun day. Oh my God. Once again, <laughs> I don't even think I auditioned for it. They just they just picked me because I could do characters yeah. and stuff. Well, you'd done Van Helsing by that point. So well, I, mean, I think they Van knew. Van Helsing chops. was a big turning point for me. <laughs> I mean, that Transylvanian Russian that I was doing, I pretty much sealed the deal from then on out. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I what a gift, right? I, yeah. I was having so much fun. I have so much fun because there was no pressure. Like I didn't, even in that one, it wasn't even, it was my job to just have fun with him so he could get his best performance. You know, I didn't right. have to give a good performance because none of it was going to get kept. So there was no pressure. It was just all playful and fun. And we were making jokes and like, I loved it. Although I will say something I thought, this is really interesting for, for really successful comedians. Okay. <laughs> you should be careful what you think. Cause I remember thinking at the time, I would never want to be that successful. Oops. Um, no, I, I change. I take it back, universe. I do. I do. But, um, but no, because you know, Will Ferrell would be like, you know, hey, uh, you know, do you got any cream for this coffee? And the room would fall out. <laughs> and you're sitting there going, uh, no. He he literally wants cream he for the. Just wanted half and half. Yeah, like. Everything he said, no matter how actually funny it was, was like, <laughs> like, and I thought, well, that's, oh, I think that's that happens a lot. Wow. I think that happens a lot that people, they get nervous. They want to validate. They, they, and, you and go, they, oh. they remember that person as being a funny person. Yeah. So they're already like keyed up for it. Yeah. Like who's the guy who is actually going to critique Will Ferrell's comedy? Right. Like, who, who's the person who's going to go? I think that joke's redundant, and I'm yeah. sure he has them. But in that like, room, I know you did Anchorman, but you know, I, I've, I've been behind the boards for six months, so let me give you a note here. <laughs> right? I mean, who? But but I, look, he's doing fine. I love him. <laughs> yeah. But he's very funny. He's very naturally funny. Like he's there to play. Yeah, that's you know? good. Yeah. Well, he 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 had similar backgrounds. He also came up from in an yeah. ensemble sketch. Yep. You know, background. Yeah. Delightful. You, I mean, this conversation is delightful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm no Will Ferrell, but I try. Uh, don't don't underestimate yourself. <laughs> You're pretty great. 
Well, I heard I heard you did a play that did really well. Oh, that, oh, you heard about that? Oh man, I did. I, it's going it's going around. Everybody's talking about it. Oh these days. yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I, I'm, I, I, I'm, it's kind of a big deal that you're talking to me. I mean, really. <laughs> I know. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> I mean. Also, never forget, I'm the woman in the park from Curious George. Oh, so. that's true. I that's like true. Gotta, yeah. I mean, the fact that you have in your pocket right now a Kate Beckinsale impression. I mean, ah, right? Come on. Look out. Like, who Look else out, has Kate. that? That's why voiceover was so good for me because, I mean, I think you can see as I'm sweaty <laughs> and at a voiceover booth that, like, I have no Kate Beckinsale. But for those brief two hours in the booth, you know. Uh-huh. I got to be her. It's pretty great. So, so you said that you could you could mimic people. So, would they bring you in to do like I can't what it's called interstitial? Like what, what the uh, like when when a celebrity can't come in to do the uh, other ADR? ADR, yeah. Do they bring you to like do other people's ADR? Yeah, additional okay. dialogue recording is okay. what is what an ADR is. And um, yeah, I've done Deborah Messing. Oh wow. Uh, I've done, who else have I done? I've done like three or four of them. I can't remember. <laughs> okay. I've done, like, I can't really can't remember. There's a movie, 21 Grams. I think I did something in that movie. I okay. don't know. But that's been fun. That was an LA thing. So after I, I did voiceover in New York yeah. for many years, I was the voice. I got a gig uh, as the voice of the Rosie O'Donnell show. Oh, wow. That's yes. nice. That, that I, was a, I mean, that was a big show at the time. Yeah, so uh, she, I was her promo announcer. She had had a guy announcing for her for two years. And she said, hey, what about a woman? And there were no women in promo. And so they held an audition. My agent represented the guy who already had the job. And she was like, hey, this is a nothing thing. Um, it's not a real job, but it would be good for you to go meet these producers if you can make it. Um, it was five o'clock on a Friday on Mother's Day weekend, and my mom was with me. And I was like, well, she says it's not really a job, but do you mind? Like, it would be good for me to meet these producers. And my mom's like, sure. So we go down to Times Square and go into this little booth, and I meet the producer and do my little thing. And then I find out that, that like, I got the job. And then later, Rosie at a Christmas party told me, she, she told me it was between me and another girl. And then when they told her the name of the other girl, she was like, I did a movie with her. I don't like her. And said, she was like, go with the other one. So I, because I had never done a movie with Rose O'Donnell, got to be her <laughs> promo announcer for six years. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. See, I, for, and see, those of you who don't, the problem is with talk shows is that they have a shelf life. So it's like, there's nobody talks about clips or it was pre-internet stuff too, but like I can't stress to you, for those of you who don't know, how big that show was. Like mm-hmm. you think Ellen is a big deal. Like Rosie was double what Ellen oh. was. Everybody watched that show. Yeah, and she was the first one to do it. Yeah, and she came out uh, to her audience. They all knew that she had a wife yep. and adopted right. kids, and right. And she was beloved. Yeah, yeah. she was great. She was great. Yeah, that's a, very, that's a good gig. It was a so that's probably like, gig. That's probably like what an hour, a couple hours work every week. Oh no 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 that that gig ruled my life actually. Oh really? So that's yeah. I figured you just would come in and just record it for an hour and then you're out. No, because oh. the approval process was so brutal. I could be in that office six hours a day sometimes. Like wow. they, they had me on call. I had to go after running the New York Marathon on a Sunday. <laughs> 
I check my phone and they're like, where the hell are you? I'm like, I was running the marathon. And I go and I am in my, still in my foil blanket. With, I your, with go, your number? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had to go record a, a promo. I couldn't leave town. Wow. It was, it was like I had to be there because the, we, the, we didn't have the technology of being able to do what we're doing, right? I had to be right. in the voiceover booth. Yeah. And, and I, we did so many promos, and we, especially for Sweeps Week, it was like, I, oh. no, I, it was almost, it was, it wasn't all day, every day. But when I was there, I could be there for up to five hours. Uh, and, and if they made changes, they had to be able to call me and get me back in the studio, like within the hour. So wow. it, it really, they kind of owned me. And then the minute that they, that that was over, I moved to LA. Okay. So like when the, it ended, when the show ended or like your, your time there just was done? Uh, no, when the show ended. When the show ended. Okay. So you were with them right, you were with her right to the end. To the finale, baby. Okay. Yeah. It was great. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. Like, uh, so that would be um, like not announcing the show. No, I wasn't a live announcer. I okay. Did. So you never was, you never was, you were not at the show. Next time on the Rosie O'Donnell show. Oh, okay. All right. Coming All up right. next. Okay. Vince Vaughn. You know, stuff like that. Okay. So the, right. little, and then, the little commercials on radio and television. Yeah. That would tell you Ooh, who's going to be on this week on Rosie. double paychecks. Because <laughs> you get was, one for radio and one for television, right? It, it, it set me up for a life of leisurely writing. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it was a but, very good... Yeah, but yeah. financially, it was a good... It was a it solid... Was, promo work was incredibly lucrative yes oh okay all right yep. it was a big gig and like like a series regular job on television yeah. it's regular work right right like i did plenty of other commercials and things but you know you could do five commercials in one week and then not do one for two months or three months you know you yeah. don't know when that's coming the promo work was regular so yeah. it was like you could actually live your life going i could save money because i know there's more money coming like it's like a Pretty cool, pretty cool situation. Were you and I able did it for, to not waitress while that was going on? I had stopped waitressing the minute that I decided I wanted to be an actor full time. Okay. Uh, I decided I was going to live on a bagel and pizza. And okay. so that was about $5 a day I could live off of. And then okay. I had savings that I could pay rent with. And I was like, I'm going to go. I, I read The Artist's Way. Okay. And it forced, I was like, I'm taking a leap of faith. I'm doing this for six months and we'll see, but I'm, I'm an actress now and nothing else. And I'm going to be the thing I want to be. And I quit my waitressing job and said, this is what I'm doing now. And I will say within like two months, I was doing that sketch show. I got that voiceover agent. They sent me out. I started booking like crazy. I was making money right away, more than I ever made waiting tables doing the thing I loved. It was wow. super super risky and yes. it paid off <laughs> for, uh, I, for me when i was starting out to to be when i decided to do the same thing with writing uh for me it was ramen noodles uh, uh peanut butter and kids meals because you could go to taco bell and get a kid's meal for like two bucks. And it was still a full-size taco and nachos and all that stuff. So like I, I basically found out what the most food you could get for the least money at all the fast food places. And that's Amazing. what I that's what I would eat. So yeah, that that, that so was crazy. those were my starving days. So so did you when you made that choice for yourself, did you write all day every day? Did you have the discipline to do that? I did. 
However, nobody cared. So, so that, so it, so, but it's like, so your, your thing worked out. Mine did not work out. So like I had to go back. And so I, I had, I found out that, that I had the discipline to do that. However, wow. no one wanted to read what I was writing. So I had, but it's, I learned a lot, but at the same time, it did not work out like yours did. So I had to go back to a straight job and, and not do anything for a while. And it was, wasn't until much later on when, I got into a creative environment where there was other people that I could collaborate with. Right. That's when it, it started to really grow. When I was yeah. just by myself, like frantically scribbling away and typing. Nope. Crickets. It's so but, hard. Yeah. Yeah. That's and the hard. That was the hard part. Plays or scripts, like TV scripts. Anything I could do. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I've not done a lot of um, screenplays and and uh, and television plays, mostly because my impediment is not. Discipline is not button seat game keyboard, which a lot of people it is. It's not ideas. It's I don't like writing things for the drawer. Oh, so I love that. I that that's and that's my I've been trying to get over this for years. So I've never I've I've I've, I've done one screenplay. The only reason I finished my, my first screenplay is because I was involved in a screenwriting group and they were doing readings. And I was like, oh, if I have a screenplay, they'll read my screenplay out. So I did it, and I did that. And then since then, no one has ever asked me for a screenplay, so therefore I've never written one, which is a terrible way to build a career. Yeah, but I really respect that. I, I, I feel the same way. It's why I did music. It's why, I mean, I, I really, I think you have, I think you're onto something there. And by the way, by the way, here's my philosophy. I just okay. did a movie, right? If it's a sure. success, you know, maybe they'll look at the other scripts that are all sitting in the drawer. Right. right. Yes, like, exactly. So it's, really, it's a really it's, good thing to have build up a back catalog, which I'm really terrible at doing. <laughs> I, I love I, it, though. It's I was just having a conversation with one of my directors I had worked with where we collaborated on a bunch of different things. I said, my best work has come because you'll come to me and say, I want to do a play about this. And I'll be like, great. Let me fire up my pen and I, and I will get him something. And, and it works out like we once again, we've every time we've collaborated, something great has come out of it. But. When I'm just sitting by myself, it's sort of like, yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I know if I finish something, it's yeah. just going to go sit. I mean, you know, the draw is but I print out, it's going to sit in my drawer. And I'm like, oh, that drives me crazy. Yeah. You also need to be told what to do. Like yes, me. I do. <laughs> I do. The, uh, that's the, it's the weird thing is like uh, working in the theater, especially there's this idea that the playwright shows up with the holy document yeah. Oh, and it descends and like everyone, oh yes, we must honor the play of Tristan, which feels great. But I am perfectly happy if someone says, we want to do a show about A, B, and C, can only have this many people and do that. What do you do? Give me give me four weeks. I love, I'm, I'm, love it. I love it. I love a challenge. Yeah. But the thing is, that's not the way stuff is built. Like they expect it to arrive sort of fully formed. I'm like, no, no. Like, tell me what you want. I'll, I'll make it happen for you. But you know what? The fact that you have people that can collaborate. I, I'm with you. I would like a group of people that give yes. me assignments. And yes. I, and I, yeah. that, that has always been the best. Like if anybody's trying to get started and needs help, like having other people go, I want you to write me a two person play about blood. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. that's that my, my main advice for anybody out there trying to do anything like this, find a troop. Mm-hmm. Like I've been like the, that's what's been great for me over the last like 10 years, moving out to a new environment, meeting all new creative people is putting together people who also want to do stuff. Like actors want material. So find actors. Yeah. Like, you know, if you're an actor, find writers. They want to do something like that. Start build, putting those things together. And that's the yeah. only way it's, it, it, you know, one, one man shows are, are very, very rare. 
we have this unique, this really unique thing in our business that I think is why people want to be in it, to be honest. The thing is going to be successful is if you're having fun. <laughs> right? Yes. Like when we this whole thing I'm thinking about, like is talking about auditioning. I'm like, well, what happened? When I started to have fun, I started to book work. I wasn't having fun. Yeah. I was scared. I didn't know what I was doing. I thought I was failing. Oh, you know, and the minute I started having fun, it was like, boop, 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 boop. You're talking about, oh, that sounds fun. You're going to give me this idea. Right. Writing alone is not always fun. So yeah. it's this great thing where you find other people that make you laugh and have fun. And then you have a win-win because you're A, more likely to be successful. And yep. B, you're having fun even if you're not successful with it. You know, unless it, and that is success. This is why I love conversation. You never know where it's going to take you. Mandy and I had reached a stopping point in her story with Mandy moving from New York to LA, but then we stumbled onto this fun new topic and got to chat about creativity and collaboration and my own struggles with getting words on the page. I hope it was fun for you too. If you'd like to hear more of Mandy's voice, she's got her own podcast. It's called The Mand Cave, hosting collaboration with her friend Mandy Kaplan. You'll find it wherever the finest podcasts are found. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the next chapter in the Curiosity Codex, but there are still many pages left to decipher. We're part of the True Story FM family of podcasts. Find out more about us at truestory.fm. Our theme music is Intrusion by Severed Personality, a.k.a. Kevin McLeod. The voice of the Codex is Vicki Hall. Find her on the web at vickihall.squarespace.com. And my name is Kyle Olson. The Codex is closed for now. <laughs>